0: Thank you for listening to The Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Ryan Patrick Olson. He is the author of The Carnival of Heaven. Um, it, it's sort of biographical, I guess, but uh, but not. Um, there's some fantasy elements into it. Um, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and about uh, The Carnival of Heaven.
1: Sure. Um, so my name is Ryan Olson, um, as uh, as Carson was saying there, and basically um, I wrote this novel about my experience with cancer. Um, I'm a, well, let's just start at the beginning here. So um, <laughs> I'm a Canadian that moved to America in 2001. Um, and uh, so I've been here quite a while and uh, just kind of, you know, I, I've always been a writer. I used to be in a couple of different bands. I was the front man of two different bands. One was a band named uh, Two Heads is Twice as Many Teeth, which is very bizarre and the other one was called edifice which is kind of this industrial rock band um and um i actually wrote a song um for that band called carnival of heaven which is thus the reason why the book is called this um the uh villain of the book if you'd like if you'd like to say that um is uh um actually the character i played on stage so a bit of a bit of a background story there for that but um So I've always been a writer, I've always written poetry for the most part, Um, poetry, lyrics, um, you know, I wrote the mythos for the band that uh, for the edifice band if had it ever gotten anywhere,
0: but uh,
1: um, all that kind of stuff. So when I set out to write Carnival of Heaven, um, it was kind of a new found thing in my life, I'd never really written a novel before. Um, My wife and I got married and uh, when we got married, uh, my family and everybody that I knew growing up, every one of them told me how much my cancer survivor story meant to them and kind of gave them hope and inspired them to be a better person and, and, and all this type of stuff. I never really realized for how much that meant to other people. I only really realized that it was something that made me kind of a hypochondriac and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it really made me reevaluate that time in my life and realize there was something there, something there that I could probably, you know, uh, relate to the rest of the world and might actually, you know, make a difference in people's lives. And that's what I set out to do. Um, now, there was a lot of growing pains in this process. Uh, four years of writing, um, it wasn't all the same book. So uh, basically the first year and a half, I wrote a novel that my first editor, um, uh, Jamie Dill, she was fantastic. Um, she's like, so do you want me to be honest with you? Or do you want me to be, do you want me to just try to help you limp along with this story? And I said, no, I want you to be honest with me. She's like, you need to rewrite this whole thing. And, uh, so I, you know, asked her why. And she told me that, um, it was because everything I wrote was like a poem. Like most of it, most of my sentence structures were more, more poetic than they were. what someone would like to read. And so I literally had to scrap eight months of work, start fresh. And it was every evening, every weekend, every, um, I mean, I spent, um, I, I had a 40 hour 40 hours a week writing, if not more, probably more. Um, and so I spent all of that time writing. And by the time I actually got through it, um, and, uh, finished it up, obviously we have what we have now, but that was through yet another editor. Um, because, uh, Jamie said like, you know, i I've see, I've read the story too many times. I'm not going to see all the, all the things that you probably want me to see. So I found another fr- family friend who was just happening to get her, uh, her uh, degree in uh, creative writing. And so she was actually going into becoming a uh, editor of Sarah Bradshaw. She was fantastic as well. Um, and after working with her, um, it's the final form of the book that you see now. So it was a huge process, huge undertaking, but I, I really felt like the message needed to be delivered. And I really felt like I wanted to do a unique spin on the cancer survivor story. So you're not getting the same uh, story that you've read a thousand times over that
0: type of thing. So. Right. And that's an interesting story uh, in and of itself, because there are many many authors out there who write a first draft or write you know they're working on a book and they send it to an editor and they come back and say no that's not you need to just start over and lots of people will give up on that um how were you able to stay motivated to continue on
1: well i really was convinced that i had a special um i had something special there like i mean i i I was talking to my treating physician who i can't believe is uh, still with us and i'm so happy he was I actually got to meet him cancer survivor story out there he said he's read every cancer survivor story he knows of, and he said he's never heard of anybody trying to uh, make the story kind of somewhat entertaining and also trying to tell it from themselves, their own perspective from when they were a child. So, I mean, I write the book in first person from the perspective of myself when I was young, and it is something that is apparently very unique in that space. It's usually a, retroact- a retrospective view of what that was all like going, growing up and going through it. And I wanted to kind of, I really wanted to immerse the reader in it. So I realized I had something very, very special there. And so I was really stuck with one or one of two things. One, I could have said, okay, well, eight months of my life is just gone, but cancer had already taken two and a half years of my life away from me. And I didn't really feel like it gave anything back at that point. And so this is the chance for cancer to have given something back to me. And I owed it to myself to finish. That was really the motivating fact. The largest motivating factor for me was just the fact that I felt like this could add value to people's lives um, who went through something similar or, or uh, have gone through something similar. Um, and it was some, one of those things where I just didn't feel like giving up was an option because if I did, then it would be yet another another portion of my life that uh, was just you know taken from me. And I, I wasn't willing to be a victim anymore. I wanted to be, I wanted to take control of that period of my life. And that's what this story was for, was to push forward and finish and redo it. <laughs>
0: So. no, that's awesome. Um, you know, you, I, I personally think that you're idea, like a superhero, you know, you've, you've con- conquered cancer, um, and you know, it's in remission. Um, right. one of the things that I love about fantasy in, in general, but it's, it's in a lot of stories is you, you have a hero that's going through something horrific and you wouldn't ever want to be part of that horrific thing that they're going through, uh, you know, and they, they come out such a, a better person but you experienced that firsthand. Uh, And so I think that this story is very um, beneficial and it's something that, you know, people, people need because we can look to to fantasy figures or whatever, but they're, you know, we have to come to a realization that it's not real people. Whereas you, you, you really did go through hell and came out of a, a better person. And you're, you're trying to tell this story to inspire others which there are so many other people that could have just been bitter at life and whatnot. What, you know, pull the, why me, but you, you didn't. And I, I think this is phenomenal. Why did you decide to, to put it in a, a like in a fantasy setting?
1: Well, so I, I really felt like there were two parts of the story. So um the, where that came from was, is that uh, there's obviously the real portion of the story, which by the way, the reality portion is at least 90% true and 10% is artistic like license to kind of bind the two together. But, everything that happens to me in the real world for the most part is is accurate all of like I have my all of my doctor's notes my mom kept a comprehensive list of everything so but the reason why for the fantasy component was is that it you know if I, if I just told the story of myself when I was a child um I'm only I'm only kind of taking into account half the story there is so much stuff that I've kind of either done to myself or like when you say that you know uh, you're 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 uh, I'm happy that uh, I, I've, I've kind of turned this whole experience into something so positive. It wasn't always that way, and um, there was a very dark place I was in for quite some time, and largely you know survivor's guilt. Um, you know, unfortunately, I had some friends in the hospital that didn't make it. Uh, stuff like this, and you know, you wonder why me. You wonder all this kind of thing, um, and. I wanted I wanted to encapsulate that somehow, but it didn't seem fair or like a good idea to throw that into the mix of my real life experiences because it wasn't during that time I felt those things. So I wanted to find a way to merge that mental like I, I like I have major depressive disorder, and so that's that's uh, um, something that I, I I attribute to the chemo, but I'm not really sure. Um, but um, I wanted to be able to have that component of the story in there as well because to me that's the aftermath. So you have the you have the beforehand, the aftermath and then whatever comes after there cuz I obviously don't want to spoil anything. But um <laughs> um you know, I'm here so obviously it's not one of these stories that uh you're going to come away from thinking the world's worse off than it was, I would hope. <laughs> so
0: No, that's awesome. Um I appreciate your optimism and your forthrightness of, you know, having survivor's guilt and having depression. Like those are real things that people go through and you know, to come out of it better. That's, 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 you know, amazing. Um, what, you know, you, you have this book out now, um, and you mentioned that you editor, it was that a family friend or did you have to go out and find an editor before, um, you started?
1: So the first one was actually, I met through a Facebook group. Um, it was random happenstance. She was just starting out her editing career and, um, I was looking for an editor and everybody loved my concept on there. So of course she's she, she being the leader of this group kind of latched on to it um she didn't really think I might realize how much work it would be at the time <laughs> I don't think but um I mean she was absolutely fantastic and uh honestly like I don't think the book would have been what it was if it wasn't for her but no I mean she she lives in North Carolina if I recall correctly um and uh so I mean I've, I've, ne- I've never met her in person um I've only talked to her over the phone I've never even seen her face I, I just I've seen like a picture of her face but I've never even done a zoom call with her it was all through the phone and through email so um but uh, i mean it's it's amazing you can find amazing people on the internet if you're if you're open to look and i genuinely do think that if you find the right person it's kind of one of those things like i'm not necessarily one of these people that's like uh believes in fate 100 percent or anything like that but i definitely do believe that you know fantastic coincidences happen sometimes where you find the right person at the right time and it just it just makes everything different the whole world becomes different because of it so Um, She was definitely one of those. The second editor, though, was a family friend, um, and she was just like somebody who was coming out of school and just got her degree, and so I um, asked her if she wouldn't mind reading my book, and uh, you know she loved it, so she wanted to to read it as well, and she was immensely beneficial in polishing it up. So, I mean, I'm immensely happy with it. It, it, There's so many self-published books out there, and uh, I wanted my book to be the same quality as something you'd get from Random House or Penguin or anything like that, and I definitely feel like I achieved that.
0: The help of uh, those two editors. So No, that's awesome. One of the challenges of being self-published is is finding that editor. And you mentioned a, a key thing that I I find interesting. You know, you talked about, you know, you don't believe in fate, but doors usually open, you know, when you're when you're looking and the thing is is you're looking. You know, you're on Facebook trying to to meet people. And, and so those those things happen when you're actively uh, pursuing it. So I think that's a key thing that you said. Um, what about your cover artist? How did you go about? I mean, because you're in charge of everything, you know. How did you go about finding yeah, your, yeah. your cover artist?
1: Oh, that was lucky. Oh, I was so lucky. Um, so Sarah Bradshaw, the my second editor, um, she actually got her degree while working for a children's publishing firm in Seattle, Washington, and uh, so she's actually she had contact with a bunch of people who did cover art for her company. So um, I met this uh, guy named Keith Robinson um, uh, through her. And after seeing his art, just fell in love. with He did like a, um, a alternate cover for The Golden Compass um, and a done a ton of work for Nickelodeon and all this type of stuff as well. But his, his art had this kind of weird surrealist quality to it. And I really wanted to go for something. I, I didn't want to go for the 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 classic uh, novel cover that you see these days where it's mostly like uh, computer-generated um like art of the main character, and that's basically what it is. I kind of wanted to go for something like Winnie the Pooh. That was actually kind of my my uh, like something like that old old timey, like that kind of classic old timey feel. Um, and Tim Burton has always been one of my biggest uh, influences in life in general. Uh, I've you know been lo- I've loved Nightmare Before Christmas. If I was in my uh, my uh, living room right now, you'd see this gigantic display of of memorabilia from that movie. But Um, anyways, so I had all these influences and I was like, well, who could actually get these all together? And so when I approached him about it, I told him my budget, which was not great. Um, his normal rate was about double what, um, I think he ended up coming for me for, I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, but it was something or a couple hundred bucks more. Anyways, basically he took, he liked my concept enough that he willingly took a price cut just so he could do the art for my book. And I was so touched and moved by that. Because I had all these people surrounding me that just believed in it and believed in it like, it, like I was believing it. And, uh, you know, I gave him a sample chapter of my book to kind of give him an idea. Um, there's actually a painting behind me um, that my wife painted that I also gave to him as a, uh, as a, as a kind of like a, an idea of kind of what I wanted. He took all of those ideas, the Winnie the Pooh, uh, like old-timey feel, the painting my wife painted, and um, the characters he, he read about in my, in my book. And then he made the cover art, what it was and i was just blown away like absolutely blown away and i honestly feel like if you're an if you're an author out there and you're writing a book right now one of the biggest things i would recommend to you is that you're gonna splurge on anything splurge on a cover artist because i cannot tell you how easy it is for me to explain my book to people um now now at least because all i have to basically say to them is if you like the cover you're probably going to like the book because Quite literally, he encapsulated the general vibe of 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 the book in the cover. So if you're a person who likes Tim Burton, and if you like the vibe of that cover, you're probably going to like it. So, um, but yeah, it was it was very lucky. But I still feel like anybody out there can find the right people. But it's good to be choosy, and it's good to make sure it's somebody who fits with your vision.
0: No, that's great advice on on both of those things. This is your debut novel. Are you working on more novels, or is this kind of like your your baby that you want to do forever? This is something, so I want to
1: push this as far as it goes. Um, I want to, I would love this to get made into a mini series or a movie. That's my ultimate goal with it, and I'm not going to be like you know satisfied until it, that happens. So um, I'm probably going to end up being uh, bugging a lot more people in the process of getting that uh, dream to realization. But um, you know, I definitely feel like there's a, a large market for what this movie would end up looking like, and I already have a rough idea of what that would be like. I haven't written a screenplay or anything like that, strictly because I feel like it would actually be easier to get made into a movie if I had somebody else who had a financial interest in getting it moving along that way. So I'm I'm kind of uh, trying to find the right screenwriter to do that. But um, on the same token, that is my goal at the moment. I have started another novel, but for the most part, my time has been taken up uh, creatively with helping my wife with her book, um where she's been she was kind of my thought partner. Um, with my book. And so I've been kind of investing a lot of my time away from work with hers as well, but I've, I've been starting a new novel, but it's nothing I would be talking about at the moment strictly because it's just not far enough long, but
0: yeah. No, fair fair enough. So when you were writing this uh, novel, you said that you were writing almost 40 hours a week uh, outside your, your job. Um, How were you able to maintain balance in that with your, you know, your family life and then, you know, stuff like
1: that. That That's a fantastic question. And I wish I had a, um, a healthy response for it. Um, but the reality of it is, is that I basically worked myself into the ground. I was, so, I was so obsessed with writing this book. Like it was something that I just had to get out. I had to get it out. I had to get it out there and I had to finish. It. I had to get it done. So I, I wasn't really, I, I, the first two years of it, were just insane. I would work. I, I wouldn't see people. I would work constantly. I wouldn't go to concerts. I wouldn't do uh, you know go to movies. I wouldn't do anything. I would basically see my 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 parents once a week. Um, I would see my wife as much as I could. But for the most part, I was just upstairs writing all the time. Like my wife would knock on the door, bring me dinner. She was so supportive, and I'm trying to do the same thing for her now that she's writing because it's you know turn around, start fair play. Um, but, uh, you know, that's one of those things Like, she, if it wasn't for her support too, I mean, I don't know, but it was one of those things I would lose track of time. I would, uh, it, I would get home at three 30 for my job and uh, would work on my book until it was, you know, 10 30. And I wouldn't even know the seven hours lapsed. It would just be like, I was that immersed in it. Um, after a year and a half of that though, I actually started to realize this is totally unhealthy. I can't keep doing this because, you know, I'm going to either. Um, I'm gonna either like estrange myself from everybody I know, or you know, do something else crazy. So um, I ended up kind of backing off and, and really just kind of uh, organizing myself so that I was giving myself more of like a schedule where I could work between these hours, but I had to have a firm cutoff time because I find when I get to writing, I won't stop, and it's the only I've never experienced that before with with anything that was work. Everything that's work, you I'm always checking my watch and checking the clock to see what time it is because you know is it close to quitting time that type of deal um but when writing i mean you just lose track of time and everything goes by like that so
0: it's <laughs> kind of hard no and that's a, a fun thing as well when you're writing because it's like you're just reading a book you know you're, even though it's everything right. in your head like i've lost countless hours just reading and, and being like oh it's already dark or, or whatever and that's a fun part <laughs> if you get in that zone too when you're when you're writing you mentioned tim burton who are some of your other influences
1: um I, so as far as like conceptually for this novel um the uh biggest thing i was trying to kind of compare it to originally was like pan's labyrinth i felt like pan's labyrinth except of course pan's labyrinth it, for those who've seen it uh is uh a lot more hopeless than my book is my book is quite the opposite um i like to think my book is a book of hope not hope not hopelessness but i mean um but as far as conceptually i mean i, I felt like that was pretty um on point example um, if, it, if it was if it was anything nowadays, I would say that uh, everything, everywhere, all at once would be a good movie to go to. But I've been actually struggling to find books that are similar to it. Um, other than I was reading a lot of like absurdist books at the time, like Born. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar at all with that novel, but but uh, it's a fantastic novel. It's B o r n e, I believe, if I recall correctly. But it's the it's the most interesting surreal novel. I absolutely fell in love with it. And uh, it really helped kind of guide that, uh, that whole process along. But yeah, Guillermo del Toro, um, I absolutely love him as far as like a uh, creative influence goes, um, Tim Burton. But um, I also was reading uh, Neil Schusterman at the time, um, the Scythe series. I loved that series so much. And just, uh, oh, I just can, like just hearing or hearing the way he, hearing <laughs> um but reading the way that he describes everything and the reading the way that he can he can uh succinctly explain um a scenario i just his writing style is if i could meet one one writer right now that's a modern writer i'd want to meet him i think he's absolutely fantastic like it just absolutely fantastic.
0: no i had a co-worker turn me on to neil schusterman and and that series the side series it's it's super good if those people if you haven't read that book um for anybody that's listening or watching uh go ahead and read that series because it's fantastic so, just a, just a, yeah, absolutely great <laughs> So, you were in a couple bands before this, um, and you said you had a mythos for the second one. Is that more like a, like a science fiction fantasy type band or what was that about? Yeah.
1: I mean, if you Google, um, um, Edifice, uh, I think it'll probably come up. I have no idea. We were, we were like this close to being signed. It was like, it was ridiculous. Uh, we, but, uh, um, anyways, that's a, that's a different story, but, um, I wrote the mythos of it. It was actually a uh, kind of a darker story. It was supposed to end up being a um, like a fascist corporation that had, you know, was bent on world domination and had succeeded. And so it was kind of this hopeless kind of post, like post-apocalyptic almost uh, vibe. And uh, just with this board of directors that was, you know, this evil these evil people that were just kind of like the illuminati almost they, they guided everything but rather than being in the shadows they kind kind of got tired of that so they're out in front in front of everybody i guess kind of in a way like v for vendetta in that respect but like yeah it was more like uh more like that kind of a vibe but uh the ringleader of it um is the ring master in uh in my book so i made up that character actually i have the mask physically because i wore that costume on stage all the time um And it was basically a idea I wanted to, I I found this artist on Etsy. Um, His name was uh, Theater Didymus, I believe that's correct, Theater Didymus. Um, And he did this fantastic job of, I told him I want a goblin and a Japanese, um, like an Oni mask type situation. I wanted like a mix, mix like like a, like a, like a fantasy goblin with a, like a, like a, one of those masks. And uh, that's what came out. And I'm like, perfect, (laughs) just perfect. So. That was, uh, and that's where the the, the character for uh, um, Lyman comes from in my book. So
0: so did everybody in the band have like a, a character that they played as well?
1: Yeah, resistantly. Um, <laughs> they were, they, they didn't like the idea. I mean, I, if you see my band shirt here, I have Ghost on. Ghost is like uh, one of these bands. I'm so happy they've gotten the success they have because, you know, he's doing exactly what I was wanting to do, which was, you know, create this band that has this large mythos and the the fans can kind of get attached themselves to it. I I found that it gave an extra, um, an extra part of the band or part of the music that fans could attach themselves to. So it's not just something where you don't, you can't just go out and buy a record or, you know, listen to it on Spotify or whatever, whatever it is. Um, You had to actually, um, you, you could actually like buy memorabilia. You could buy like a mask and you could be like, you're part of the band type thing. Um, I've loved how Ghost has done that, and so I was trying to do that myself, but my band members, they weren't really as into it as I was at all, so, I mean, when I say that the the, the mythos of the band, I did it all, I did it all because there was really no interest by anybody else, It was fine, I mean, they were fantastic musicians and I wasn't, so that was the uh, the thing, I, I did vocals, heavily affected, but I did vocals, and, uh, well, not heavily affected, but affected, and um, I did the, all the lyrics and the mythos and they did the music. So, you know, it was kind of a fair share that way.
0: No, I love bands like that. Um, you find it more in European bands, uh, you know, bands like glory hammer and power wolf and stuff like that, that, um, yeah, that, Oh the yeah. They're, they're fantastic. You know, and they, they portray characters. Twilight force is another one that comes to mind that they, they embody characters. Um, and they, they sing about, you know, their adventures or what's going on um, with them. I'm hoping to interview um, some of them in the near future, but they're they're telling stories in their music. It's not you know just a pop song on the radio that you know it's four seconds of. They're they're actually telling a story throughout the whole album, and right. I, I find that so much more interesting.
1: Me too. Me too. Cohen and Camry is another one that I really like because yeah
0: yeah yeah. No, they're they're fantastic as well. Um, so what are some of your habits now? I mean, you're helping your wife, yeah. Um, when you get home from work, I mean, you said you work from home, um, in, in our correspondence, do you just focus on, uh, what she's doing and, and kind of support her or do you, how do what are some of your habits now?
1: Well, um, I, I still try to keep up with writing a little bit. Um, I, I haven't been as, uh, and I haven't been as involved as I used to be, of course, but that's strictly just because, uh, um, I, again, I'm helping, I'm I've been helping her out and stuff like that. And so, and also trying to make sure that, uh, we also moved, uh, to Arizona, so uh, when we moved from Washington to Arizona, it was a uh, large en- endeavor and my book had just come out um, like you know, six months prior. So I really haven't gotten my head back on straight since writing and then moving. And now we're, you know, so I'm still kind of getting back there. I- I've been getting the bug to want to write more again. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be starting to do that. But right now I've been playing a lot of video games and things like this. Uh, a lot of my story actually was um, incentivized by that. Um, there's a picture on my website of me beating DuckTales back in the 80s. I've always been a huge gamer. I, I, currently, I've probably sunk 140 hours into Elden Ring. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah. No, I saw that picture of
0: DuckTales yeah. and I was like, sweet, I beat that game too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh. I loved it. I, it's one of those love-hate games, for sure, because it's one of those things where you just like, you get so angry at it sometimes, but you realize it's all your fault when you die and you're like, ah. But uh, but no, I mean, my habits now, I, I've been trying to get more, I'm trying to isolate myself more into writing. I'm also um, uh, getting my working on getting my citizenship, so I've been studying for that. Um, and uh, a couple of other things that have just been kind of coming up, house stuff. Uh, so. I, I, but basically to answer your question, my habits are that I'm trying to get back into the vibe of writing, but there's just been so much life stuff that's gotten in the way. Um, but hearing all the positive feedback from people recently from a couple of newspapers and local newspapers in Phoenix here about my book and like just hearing people talk to me at, at, at Fan Fusion when I was at Fan Fusion there and I met you, um, you know, uh, it, it just it really inspired me to, to actually get back on the horse and start doing it. It's just one of those things where um, to your point earlier, um, it's one of these things where I don't want to write the same story that other people have already read. And so that's one thing where where I kind of go, okay, so I've been trying to immerse myself in a lot more media to kind of make sure that the next, the direction of my next novel is something that isn't like, I mean, it might be out there, but it's not something that everyone is doing. It's not something that, and I mean, maybe that's something that kind of keeps me uh, on the uh, underbelly or the, uh, you know, underground or whatever writers i have no idea but uh i hope not i hope not i hope that uh i hope that uh my book is going to be uh something that gets made into a movie I, i think it'll probably end up getting made into a christmas movie if anything i feel like there's a large market for that and i feel like there's enough in my book that would make that a possibility um but we'll see i will see i mean i'm i'm waiting i'm waiting to hear from a couple of people and hopefully something gets moving but uh in the meantime i'm just trying to help my wife out and really honestly trying to get a great idea about exactly where I'm going with my next novel.
0: So you're a self-published author. Uh, so like we said earlier, like you're in charge of everything and that including that includes uh, selling your book. How have yes. you been able to keep up on marketing and get your book out there? I mean, FanFusion, I'm sure was was huge, but what other yeah. things have you done?
1: Well, I mean, keeping myself open to everything has been helpful. Um, I've done a few other uh, festivals in Phoenix, um, just to kind of get the word out there about my book and met quite a few cool contacts through that. Um, I would say that's one of the biggest things to do. I did social media and was really, really like, you know, um, immersed myself in that environment for quite some time, especially during COVID, because that was the other unfortunate part about when I published my book, you know, September, late September, 2019. Um, not exactly the best, uh, time period to, to, uh, release a novel when, you know, when you're, when you're kind of like, you know, on the cusp of, uh, COVID, but, um, ever since, uh, that's kind of, uh, gone by the wayside, at least, at least a little bit, um, I've started, uh, kind of doing these festivals and that's been huge for me. Um, festivals, I think are one of the best things and they're not something you make money on, like just for any, for any readers out there that are, that are wondering how you can possibly make money. At one of these things, you don't. It's all exposure, but it's a big deal. Like it's a huge deal because I mean, I, I probably had a hundred people take business cards. I have no idea how many people those, how many of those people are actually going to buy the book. But you still had people coming up, talking about like, like hearing about the book, listening about what I was saying about my book, and you get a lot more contacts that way. Um, and it was just, it's an invaluable experience. So I would say the best form of marketing is in person. I don't think. Um, the social media algorithms or the Amazon stuff does a heck of a lot. I've, I've sunk a lot of money into Amazon and uh, a lot of these other algorithm based things, and maybe they work for some people, but I can tell you from my experience and making sure I put in all the correct keywords and all that stuff and doing all the research to make sure I did that. it I uh, I didn't get, I, I think I might've gotten one sale and sunk probably $500 or more into it. So yeah, it was, <laughs> it wasn't exactly the best ROI.
0: <laughs> no, that doesn't sound like a, a good ROI. That's for sure. <laughs> so uh, the rest of this year, are you going anywhere else?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm keeping my, my eyes and ears open. There's a, a Mesa book fest that uh, I've been looking at. I've been looking at, I might go to that. I haven't really decided there yet. Um, strictly just because uh, you know, finances and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, basically, I, I'm I'm dead set now on all of the the festivals and anything in Arizona or local. I would I would go do I would go do just because anything I can drive to makes sense. Anything I have to fly with my books, yeah, not so much. Um, but um, yeah, that's my that's my advice to any authors out there too. Is like just go to book festivals. Become one of the authors that does a does a kiosk. You can buy a, a pop up tent on Amazon for you know a hundred and some odd bucks and. Uh, It's they're great. It's they're great because you meet a lot of potential fans and a lot of people who are just going to buy your book on the spot, which you'd never get through online environments.
0: Right. You shared a lot of tips and tricks. So I appreciate it. Um, Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead and uh, tell people, uh, you know, how they can get your book or your website and how they can contact you.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, my email address, actually, I, I don't mind giving out my email address. I'd like to hear from people who, um, have to either had similar experiences, have read the book and what they think about it. I'm open to any and all feedback. I love hearing what people think. Um, it is, uh, rpoweber at gmail.com. And, um, my website is, uh, www.ryanpatrickolson.com and you search Ryan Patrick Olson, I should pop right up. Uh, for some odd reason, the algorithm doesn't, it, it does sometimes and doesn't other times if you search for carnival of heaven, sometimes it does show up and sometimes it doesn't, but if you do my name, it always shows up. So that would be, that would be how you'd find me is uh Ryan Patrick Olson on Amazon and www.ryanpatrickolson.com.
0: Also, I wanted to say on your website uh, for people who go, the first chapter is up there so they can, you can get a taste of, of what his book is about. and It's a good chapter. Thank you. So. Yeah.
1: And a uh, quick shout out to, to my narrator, by the way, Jason Ostrowski, he did a fantastic job on the audible version. So if anybody's uh, a huge Audible fan, check it out. It's a fantastic version of the book because he just does a fantastic job of narrating. Uh,
0: would you mind telling us how you found him?
1: <laughs> it's, 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 it's hilarious. Uh, so I was actually on a cruise with my with, uh, with my wife and uh, we were doing a karaoke contest. I was doing Billy, uh, Billy uh, Idol and uh, doing Rebel Yell. And this one guy was just killing Elton John. I'm like, I'm not gonna stand a chance. This guy's amazing. And I asked him, like, do you, are you are you like a professional singer or what? And He's like, ah, no. He's like, I'm just here with my family on a cruise ship. Well, come to find out later, he's actually an actor. And so we've we've kept in touch since. And he does Elton John impersonations professionally. He actually is a, like a professional to sing us a song. And um, it is a fantastic, amazing rendition of Elton John that he does. Uh, and anyways, and so I asked him to do the narration of my book because I don't really feel like I had the chops to do my book justice as much as i know a lot of people love reading books that are read by the author he evokes the emotions that i meant when i was writing it perfectly um i've never i couldn't even imagine having anyone else read my book now um but yeah i reached out to him offered him um you know what i thought it might be worth he was very he was very pleased by that and said you know absolutely man i'll i'll do your book for you i've been looking to get into this so, his first audiobook was mine. Nice. Uh, and he did it in like two weeks. Like, it was incredibly fast how fast he did it. So, yeah.
0: Well, perfect. Ryan, I appreciate you getting on with me today, taking time out of your day. Thank you so much. And thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time. Nope. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.